Good morning, Lakeshore. We are so glad that you're here with us today. Welcome Smyrna Campus. We love you guys. We're glad you're with us. Anybody that's connecting with us online today, we want to welcome you. We're glad you found us there. We are in a series uh, on love called Love Does. And today's message is No Fear. I think you could see in the clip, I love that clip. I, lo I love that series of movies. And the Minions are my favorite little characters out there. And, and I love how Gru is just so paralyzed by fear about calling this this girl that he's interested in and wants to date and he just can't bring himself to do it fear can be a crippling thing can it it can really cause us uh, to not be able to move forward with what we need to be doing uh, there was this couple from Minneapolis, Minnesota, who decided to go to Florida for a few days in the middle of the coldest part of the winter. They just wanted to thaw out, have some warmth. But their work schedules were a little different, and they couldn't get on the same flight with their work schedules. So the husband decided to go down a day ahead of the wife, get checked in, get everything settled, and then the wife was going to join him the next day. So the guy got, gets to the hotel a day ahead of his wife. He decided to open up his laptop and send his wife back in Minneapolis an email uh, just to touch base with her. However, when he typed in the email address, he mistyped and didn't realize it, and the email went to somebody else. Well, here's what the email said. Uh, uh, the, 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 the person that, that the, got the email is this lady in another part of the country who had just buried her husband, okay, uh, who was a pastor who had died. And she got back to the house from the funeral and opened up her computer to check to see if family and friends from out of town had sent her any messages. And when she opened up her emails, upon reading the first email, she let out a loud scream and she fainted and fell to the floor. And her son rushed into the room and found his mother on the floor. And he glanced up at the computer screen and saw the following email message that the other guy had sent. Here's what it said. To my loving wife, I've just checked in. Everything has been prepared for your arrival here tomorrow. <laughs> Looking forward to seeing you then. P.S. Sure is hot down here. We're going to be looking at a passage dealing with this idea of what love does, like we've been doing this whole series. We've been looking at agape love and how it affects our lives. And this week, we examine another thing that love does for us. And here it is. It allows us to live without fear. The agape love of God, when you know it, when you have it, when you understand it, it changes everything for you so that now you can live your life without fear fear. Wouldn't that be a great thing to be able to move forward in life without fear? Let's look at 1 John chapter 4. 1 John is a great epistle, especially on the theme of love and God's love and agape love. He has a lot to say about it. We've been spending a lot of time here. Let's go back to 1 John 4, beginning with verse 13. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He's given us of his spirit and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. 
In this world, we are like Jesus. And there he makes the statement, there is no fear in love, but perfect love, complete love, drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. What this passage is telling us and other passages on agape love in scripture tell us is that love is built on trust. Even God's love for us and our love for God, it's about a trust relationship. When you really love people, you believe in them. You trust them. You, you build their confidence. You, you relieve their fears. And your trust causes them to blossom, to, to really be able to live life to the full because they feel safe and secure in your love. And that's exactly what God wants us to know about his love for us. That, that when we understand that we're safe in his love, it takes the fear away. So today let's look at four things about God's love that enables us to, to learn to live without fear. Uh, it's based on four things. Okay, The first one is it's based on his relationship with his children. It's based on his relationship. Look at verse 13 again. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. How do we know? Because he's given us of his spirit. If you want to live without fear in this world, uh, let me ask you first of all, is there, are there things to fear in this world? Absolutely. I mean, we live in a fallen world. There's a lot of bad stuff out there. If you don't know about it, just turn on the television or pull up your, your computer and look at the news, the latest things that are coming out, uh, follow different things that are happening, and you see that there's lots of bad stuff out there. And what can happen is, is we can allow it to rob us of joy and confidence, and instead of those things, they get replaced with fear and anxiety. Anxiety has been on the rise in our culture for a long time now. People struggling with anxiety. And, and I'm not saying there's any magic pill, though they're trying to come out with pills, right, that you can buy to take care of your anxiety. There's no magic pill that just removes all the reasons that you might have anxiety or fear. But there is a relationship that if you get to know it, you get to know him and get the right relationship with him. It helps relieve the anxiety and, and the, the, uh, the fear that can paralyze you, keep you from doing all that you ought to do. And he says, here's the key to it. He's given us of his spirit. Now, that can be a little confusing if you don't know a little bit about, about that process of making sure God's spirit is in you. Uh, I want to take you back further into Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39, where Peter has preached that first gospel sermon that's ever been preached. And he's told them about Jesus and what Jesus did for them on the cross and how they were guilty of nailing him to that cross. And they ask Peter and the other disciples, brothers, what shall we do? How, how can we make things right in our relationship now with God? How can we get that relationship back where it needs to be? And here's what Peter told them in verse 38. Repent, which means turn from the sin, right? Have sorrow, but that kind of sorrow that leads you away from the sin. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. So how many people need to, to do this to enter into that right relationship, to get their relationship right with God? Everybody, okay? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of who? Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's the one that allows us to get our relationship right with the Father. 
Okay? Getting the relationship right with God happens through Jesus and what Jesus did for us on the cross that he just preached about, right? If you go back and look. Now, understand when I share a passage with you and just pull out one or two verses, I want you to go back and read it in the context. There are some skilled pastors out there that can pull scriptures out of context and make them say whatever they want them to say, and that's never our intent here. We don't ever want to do that. But for time's sake, sometimes we'll just have to look at one or two verses. But I want to encourage you to always go back and look at the context of those verses. And the context here is Peter's been talking about Jesus, all that Jesus did, and how God raised him from the dead and all of that. And now he says, in Jesus, all right, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for, and he tells them for two things, for two reasons. For the forgiveness of your sins, that's the first thing. Can you have a right relationship with the Father until you deal with the sin problem? No, you got to have that. Got to have that taken care of. Jesus took care of that for you on the cross. When you're baptized into Christ by his authority, then his payment there is applied to your life, and you have that thing removed between you and the Father, so your relationship with God can be better now, okay? It can be back to where it needs to be, where he wants it to be. But he didn't stop there. He said, for the forgiveness of your sins, and then he added this, and you will receive the gift. And he's not talking about a gift of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift is the Holy Spirit himself. He said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. You receive for the forgiveness of your sins and you receive the gift and the gift is the Holy Spirit. And then he added this, the promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. It's for you. If you're sitting in the room today hearing this message, this gift is for you. If you're listening online, Live or later on, this gift is for you. You see, when you come to Christ in response to what he did for you on the cross, and you do it the way he says, you go through the process of repenting of your sins and you're baptized into Christ, he gives you a remarkable gift. The forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit himself is God's gift to you. What an amazing gift. He promises it to everyone that he calls. So if you have responded to his call in your life, you have the gift that he's talking about here. So many times we forget we're walking around as if we don't have this gift. And that's part of the reason we're afraid a lot of the time. We don't remember what we have in us. We don't remember who we have with us and in us all the time. I love... uh, in Mark chapter 4, uh, there's an encounter Jesus has with the disciples. This is very early on in his ministry, and they don't know everything uh, yet. They're learning, and they're growing, and getting to know Jesus a little bit. And it says in Mark 4, verse 35, that day when evening came, he came to his disciples and said, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as uh, he was in the boat. Okay? It says there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. Now, out on the Sea of Galilee, that was common. It's still common today. It's kind of down in a bowl, and and, and bad weather will just hit suddenly there a lot of times. And that's what happened here, okay? A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern. Some of you boat people might know where that is, but he's talking about down in the boat there. There's an area where he could go off the surface of the deck of the boat. He was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Did you know Jesus took naps? (laughs) Another reason I love Jesus so much. (laughs) 
<laughs> he took naps. As a kid, you fight it and fight it and fight it. As an adult, you just pray, please let me get a nap, right? All right. I want to follow Jesus into the nap time sometimes. All right. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? What a question. It's like they didn't know Jesus well enough yet to know that he cared what was happening. I think that's why we are afraid so much. We don't know Jesus well enough to know how much he cares when we're in the middle of a storm, a challenge, a struggle. A time when we just don't know right from wrong or what to do. Sometimes we forget how much he cares. You see, if you got that relationship right, you know how much he cares. And that can help take your fear away. No matter what it is you're facing. Look at what he does. Verse 39. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Some translations say, peace, be still. That's a great translation. And, and then he says, then the wind died down and it was completely calm. But he didn't stop there. It was a teachable moment. Here's what he said to his disciples. Why are you so, what, afraid? Do you still have no faith? You see, they claimed to be followers of Jesus, right? They decided, I'm going to follow Jesus. They felt like he was the right guy to follow. But had they grown in their faith enough to know that they don't have to be afraid if they have that relationship with Jesus. And that's the question for all of us. If we're dealing with anxieties and fears in our lives, could it be that the starting point is it where we aren't where we need to be on the starting point of dealing with this? We haven't gotten that relationship right. We're not where we need to be in our relationship with God through His Son, Jesus. Because once we understand His love for us and His presence with us all the time, he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you, right? He's, his spirit is in us all the time. Do you know what the, the scripture says about that spirit? It says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you also. Did you catch that? The same spirit that brought the dead body of Jesus that had been beaten and crucified and put in a tomb for days. The same spirit that brought that body back to life again is living in you and me as Christ followers. What should we be afraid of, guys? What, what is there we're going to face that's worse than death, right? I mean, that was the ultimate thing the world could do to you is kill your body. And he gave life back to Jesus, the Spirit. You have that Spirit in you. I have that Spirit in me. And that's what makes that relationship so important to eradicating fear in our lives. we got to know we got to have that connection. So if you haven't made the step yet to follow Jesus into baptism and rise to that new walk of life with him, then you can't claim this promise yet. But if you've done that, you have this promise to claim in your life that his spirit that raised him from the dead is in you also. And you don't have to be afraid of anything. So it's based on the relationship first. Secondly, it's based on his actions. Look at verse 14 again. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. One of the ways you know somebody loves you is by what they're willing to do for you. Right? Well, that's not the only way, but that's one of the ways you know they really love you. I mean, if they're not willing to inconvenience themselves for you, if they're not willing to sacrifice anything for you, 
If they're not willing to give you priority over themselves in a consistent way, then maybe they don't really love you, no matter how much they say they love you. But Jesus has demonstrated his love for us, clearly. The Father has demonstrated his love for us, clearly, because he sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. When he says he sent his Son to be the Savior of the world, it meant he sent him here to bleed and die for you on the cross. That's how he becomes your Savior. You see, his actions back up his words. The Bible doesn't just say God is love. The Bible demonstrates, the record demonstrates, the actions demonstrate that God is love because he sent his son to be your savior. You don't have to guess about whether or not God loves you. The actions speak. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, it says this, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Even while we were his enemies, it says, well, even while we were dead in our transgressions, and meaning our sins, and the debt of sin is death, so even while we were in that condition, God demonstrated his love for us by sending Jesus here to die for us on the cross. Don't ever doubt whether or not God loves you, he has shown to the greatest extreme you could go to by his actions how much he loves you, how much he loves me. And that's why it fits with what he told us in 1 John 3, verse 18. He said, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. God does not love us just with words or speech. How does he love us? With actions and in truth, meaning he tells us the truth because he loves us. He's done the actions and he's told us the truth about stuff. That's what people who love you will do for you. You will see it in their actions and in their truthfulness with you. Because in that kind of relationship, you don't have to hide anything. You can be truthful with each other. See, that's why it's so important in marriage. It's what makes marriage so strong when you love like this. You don't have to hide from each other in a marriage. You don't have to pretend with each other in a marriage with this kind of love. You can be who you really are. They can be who they really are. And you enter into the commitment to each other knowing those things, committing to love with that knowledge. That's what God's done for us. He has absolute knowledge of our failures, our sinfulness, our weaknesses, and still he enters into that loving relationship with us through his son, Jesus. So he says we need to love in action and in truth because that's the action he did for us. He has acted out his claim that he loves us in the greatest way possible. It's also based on a third thing. It's based on his character. The character of God. Let's look at verses 15 and 16 again. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And he says, and so we know and rely on the love of God, the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So many misconceptions about God abound out there in our culture misunderstandings of who God is and what God is like. And because of that, it's hard for us. And it's hard for us for another reason. 
And that is we have had relationships with other people where love was spoken, love was pledged, but it wasn't acted out in the right ways. And so we realized it reflected on the character of the person who was saying the words. And we get disappointed and we get hurt over and over again in relationships with people. And it begins to scar us in our thinking about relationships. We've all had some of that. Everybody has. It's hard not to get cynical. It's hard not to, to be so untrusting of anybody and everybody, even God himself. You see, we build up this resistance to the idea that God is really a God of character he really does what he says. He really means what he says. And he will prove it to you when you give him the opportunity. But it's hard to step out because we are afraid. It's hard to step out and trust God completely in a relationship with him. I mean, you've been hurt. We all have. And when you get hurt, it's hard to trust again, isn't it? It really is. And maybe even some people in the name of God have hurt you. In the name of his son, Jesus, and claim to be followers of Jesus, and they've hurt you. But here's what you have to remember. That was not God. That was not Jesus. That was some people who are imperfect in living out that relationship. But Jesus is not imperfect in living this out. He is perfect and complete in living out his love for us. And so he wants us to know how much we can trust him based on his character. Character is not just what you act like when you know people are watching, right? It's, what you're, it's who you are inside all the time. It is you. The real you is your character. The real Jesus lived it out in front of us. I, I'm so convinced that's one of the greatest reasons Jesus came in the flesh and spent years with us on this earth. You know why? Because it would be easy to mistrust his character if we had not seen him living it out. In front of us. But when people saw Jesus and spent time with Jesus and they were around him in good and bad times and all circumstances, you know what they saw? They saw consistency of character in Jesus. They saw that he, he meant what he said. He said what he meant. He lived out his claims in every way. In the flesh, with us, around us. So that we could see and know the character of God. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? So what's the character of God? It's the character of Jesus. That's the character of God. Did Jesus show himself to be trustworthy? Yes. Did he show himself to be truthful? Yes. Did he show himself to be loving? Yes. Did he show himself to, to be one who extended grace and forgiveness and mercy? Yes. All of those things are his character. And when you know that character, can you be more likely to trust him then? Yeah, in a relationship with him, when you know that's his character. You see, that's what he was trying to get across to us by coming to us the way he did. You can trust me. You can have faith and confidence in this relationship that I want to have with you. And I want to show you that by sacrificing everything for you. So based on his character, we know we can trust him. You see, God is love, it says in Scripture. You know the, the great description of love found in 1 Corinthians 13? How many of you had it at your wedding? 1 Corinthians 13. Did you have that, some of those verses read at your wedding? Any of you? 
Yeah, a lot of people did. I use it at a lot of weddings. I've done a bunch of wedding ceremonies over the years, and it's good just to be reminded of the commitment of love that people are making when they're getting married. And here's what it says again, 1 Corinthians 13, beginning with verse 4. Here's what it says about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. That's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And here's what he says about this agape love. This love never fails. When you know that about the character of God, that he is love, he's this kind of love, this agape love, then it's easier to trust him with your life. And when you know that his love will always protect you, then it's easier to accept not only his comfort, but also his correction into your life. Isn't it? When you know the intent behind it is love that wants to correct you and get you back on track, guide you in the direction that will bless you. When you know that about his correction, then the Bible says... God disciplines those that he loves. And we don't like that word discipline, but discipline really means correction, getting us back on track where we need to be. You see, people who love you will want you to have the best. They'll put that ahead of themselves so that you can have it. And that's what God has done for us. That's his character. It's his nature to love us like that. See, all of these things put together, we got one more. All of these things put together are teaching us that we can trust him. We can place our life in his hands and feel safe there. All right? You can feel safe in his care and his provision. And that leads to the fourth thing, and that is it's based on his provision for us. Look at verse 17. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Uh, By the way, this is a subtle reminder. We're all going to face the day of what? Judgment. All of us are. Now, for some people, that's a fearful thing to even think about. They want to deny it. They want to not ever talk about it, not ever deal with it. But what he's telling us here is removing the fear of that day. We don't have to have any fear, even though we know there's going to be a day of judgment. And here's why. Listen, we can have confidence on the day of judgment. If in this world we are like Jesus. So he says, okay, you want to be ready for judgment? How do you need to be living your life? Like Jesus. What is a disciple supposed to do? Follow after a teacher to become like the teacher, right? So the more we grow into being like Jesus, the more confidence we can have. We don't have to be afraid, even of judgment itself, because we're following after Jesus. And then he says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love does this. It drives out fear. Now, I love the way that he says that because it doesn't mean fear is not going to invade your life sometimes. I mean, we all have moments of fear, right? He says there is no fear in love, and the tense there means no abiding, lasting fear in love. It doesn't mean it will never try to invade your life. Fear. We all have moments of fear. Everybody does. If you don't, then you're probably on too strong a medication. You need to ask the doctor to dial that back down a little bit. You see, fear is something God put in us in the way that he made us. 
There needs to be an initial reaction of fear to certain things, right? But it should be fear that we know what to do with it and where to go with it. And he says, well, where do you go with your fear? He says, well, that love relationship with God is where you need to go because that relationship will do what to fear? Drive it out of your life. See, it'll keep trying to come back in, but how can you get it back out? It's based on the love of God, the love relationship you have with the Father. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with what? Punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I've seen this expressed in a lot of different ways, but, but I really like the concept. Here, here's what it is. The difference between uh, fathers and, 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 children's and, their and their children and their relationship with them. Here's the difference, right? Some father-child relationships are like this. I messed up. Oh, no, I've got to hide this from my father, right? I can't let my father find out because you're afraid of the response of the father. But here's a different relationship between a father and a child. Oh, no, I messed up. I need to find dad and talk to him about it. Isn't that a different relationship? See, God wants to be that father that you know for sure you don't have to be afraid to come to him with anything. See, because perfect love drives out that fear. You feel like I can go to the Father with anything, good, bad, indifferent. I, I have that kind of relationship with the Father that my first thought with anything good is I want to go to Dad and talk to him about it. My first thought with anything bad is I need to go to Dad and talk to him about it. Right? And that's hard because sometimes you haven't had that kind of relationship with any earthly father or any earthly relationship that you've got. You are afraid. You feel like you have to hide things, even from friends, the brothers and sisters in Christ. That you feel like you, sometimes, I feel this sometimes, and I hope I'm not the only one. Others have talked about this. Sometimes you feel like an imposter, right? Like if they really knew who you really were, they wouldn't love you anymore. Have you ever felt that around somebody sometimes? So you're, you're careful not to let them know the real you. But he's saying if you can get to know God, the Father, the way he wants you to know him, you don't have to fake anything with him. You don't have to hide anything from him. Now, there's two reasons. One is he already knows it, okay? Remember Adam and Eve, after they fell, what were they trying to do? Hide in the garden. God plays along a little bit. Is that you, Adam? Where are you, man? Right? He knew where Adam was. He knew what they had done. He's trying to get Adam to realize he can talk to him about it. Right? And Eve. See, that's what you need to know about the love of God. Maybe you're weighed down with something that you know is guilt because you messed up so bad. Instead of running from God, God's relationship with you, he wants it to be like this. Instead of running from him, your first response is to run to him with that failure and that hard thing in your life. Because here's what his love will do. He will take that thing and offer you grace in its place. In the place of guilt, he wants to give you grace and mercy and forgiveness when you confess it to him. He's not going to reject you because of it. He's going to embrace you and love you through it. And I know a lot of us as parents have done that for our kids, right? Or for our grandkids or for some friends. 
We've done that for them. They failed miserably, but we've loved them through it and embraced them and helped them get to the other side of it, right? That's our job, to love them that way. That's what we're supposed to do. Well, that's what the Father does for His children. We need to get to know God like that. There was a guy who was very eager to meet his future son-in-law. His daughter had gotten engaged unexpectedly, and they hadn't had a chance to get to know him. So they had a weekend set up where they could meet him for the first time. And he told all of his friends at work that he had a whole list of questions he was going to ask his future son-in-law when he had time with him that weekend. So one Saturday morning, the weekend was here, and he invited his soon-to-be son-in-law out for a cup of coffee. And they began to talk. And the father quickly found himself asking his future son-in-law these questions that he wanted to have answered about him so he asked do you have a job I know you just finished college and all but how do you plan to support yourself and my daughter the young man paused for a minute and then he said well God will provide the father then asked the second question where do you intend to live do you have a house or an apartment lined up after the wedding he paused again and said well God will provide The father waited a few moments before launching into his third question. Son, do you have any money, any savings, a financial nest egg? And the young man looked him right in the eye and said, God will provide. Well, the following Monday, all of us... Father, all of the father's co-workers were curious to find out how the meeting had gone and what he thought about his future son-in-law. And the father smiled and said, you know, I kind of like the kid. They said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, he thinks I'm God. See, when we understand God properly, here's what you need to understand. He will provide. I don't care what you're facing. I don't care what life throws at you. It's thrown me some curveballs. It's thrown you some already. You're here today because what happened? God got you through it. You wouldn't be here if he didn't. He will provide. You have to know that because of his love for you, nothing will ever separate you from that love. Romans 8, let's close with this, verse 38 and 39. I'm convinced that neither death nor life or angels or demons or the present or the future or any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that that we've been reminded today of how you love us. Of how we don't have to be afraid when we're in that relationship with you that you paid that price that we could be in with you. Our sin would keep us from that, but you let your son Jesus die for us on the cross to remove the sin and the guilt so that we could be in that relationship with you again. And it's there with you. And your plan for us, and your purpose for us, and your love for us, that we are safe. I pray that if there's anybody hearing this message today that's struggling with fear and anxiety, and it's crippling them, it's paralyzing them, it's keeping them from their walk with you, it's keeping them from having good relationships with others and experiencing joy and blessing in this world, I pray that they would recognize your call to them to come to that safe place with you. Father, I pray if anybody needs to take those steps into the safety of your love, that today, today they would be bold enough 
to listen to the, your call through your spirit to come, to come and find life that is truly life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.